If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, you can turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Before we dive in to God's Word, let's pray. Father, Your Word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. And You show Your faithfulness to Your people in all generations. You you established creation, and it stands firm. It is sustained because of You. So Father, this morning, turn our affections to the Gospel as we rest in Your providence. Father, use Your Word to shape us so that we reflect upon Jesus, grow in obedience, and desire to take the Gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. All for Your glory and for our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall, not be, he, shall not, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is God's word. Everyone plays a role in the reward of children. And we are resting in the providence of God. God has either placed you as the primary caregiver for your child or you are a member of North Hills helping care for those children. Either way, God has entrusted you with responsibility towards children. And we want to live in in an honorable manner towards God. We want to be faithful spouses. We want to be faithful members. And we desire to be faithful stewards of our children that God has entrusted us with. It's my primary duty as a father to be discipling Mason. But if you are a member at North Hills, God has placed you in Mason's life to speak gospel truth. As we looked at last week in Deuteronomy 6, we are called to instruct children. And as we will see today, we instruct and labor, but God is the one who builds. And so at North Hills, all of our families may look different. And as as we are different, we're going to be using different resources, doing different Bible studies. And our devotions or family worship time is going to be different as well. But we we all desire the same goal. We desire to make much of Jesus. And we want to see our church flourish in the gospel. And so as we talk about family ministry and are reminded from today, from this in today's passage, Everyone in the local church participates because everyone that is in the church and that everyone that is in Christ is a part of the blood-bought family. At North Hills, we are the family of God. 
And it is all by God's providence and care. that The things He builds will last. God builds His church. And because God builds His church, it will last. When He builds, He sustains it. At North Hills, our prayer is that we remain united in the gospel of God. We we recognize that God builds and God will keep His people. And so in this psalm today, Psalm 127 addresses children. and, And they are a heritage, a precious gift of God. And the Lord builds the house. Parents and church members are called to instruct, but it is the Lord that changes hearts. Our individual houses and the church is not built because we pulled ourselves up to labor. Our houses and the church is built by the Lord. Every person, every person in the local church impacts the lives of others in the church. Individual families make up the whole community. Individual families and the church are totally dependent upon God. And so without God and the gospel everything would fall apart. As we'll see in this psalm today. And this psalm would be considered a wisdom psalm that's attributed to Solomon in which is providing instruction to live in a God-honoring manner. The psalms contain the various flows of life. They deal with loss, sin, Mourning, shame, concern. But there's also rejoicing in what God has done and these reminders of what God has done. And so in this group within the Psalms, the Songs of Ascent from chapters 120 to 134 were used as a hymn book for Jews that were traveling to celebrate annual feasts. And so our passage this morning, our, this Psalm, Psalm 127 could, could be divided into two sections. Verses 1 and 2, and then verses 3 to 5. Verses 1 and 2, and verses 3 to 5. And so we have two points this morning. The Lord, the Lord is the one who builds, and so His people do not labor or work in vain. We'll see that in verses 1 and 2. And the second point is children are a blessing from the Lord for the family and the community. Children are a blessing from the Lord for the family and the community. That's verses 3 to 5. So to our first point this morning. The Lord is the one who builds, and so His people do not work in vain. Let's read again verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So this psalm begins by saying, Unless the Lord builds the house, what is the purpose of a house in the day of the psalmist and in our day? It's to be a dwelling, to, to provide order, to provide some sort of safety. And so the word house has a ver- variety of meanings in the Old Testament. It can refer to family dwellings, whole households, but also 
to the whole community, to the, the whole community of Israel, the people of Israel. And so this house could be understood as the community of God. Unless the Lord builds the community, the community will fail. A commentator on this passage noted that the whole world attempted to build Babel in Genesis 11, and it ended in confusion. And in the case of Babel in Genesis 11, you have everyone striving to unite to a cause that is not rested in God. They do not labor for the glory of God, but for their own glory. Because the Lord did not build Babel, those who tried to build the tower worked in vain. This is the type of imagery that scriptures are, the scriptures here are pointing out in verse 1. And when the community of believers is built and the house is built by God, then they have a firm foundation. As Christians, what we believe and confess is built on the rock of God. We build our houses and our church upon God, who is our solid rock. And so if our foundation is rooted in other things, then it's like building upon sinking sand, and it will wash away when the tide comes in. And for those of God, it's, it's a blessed thing to be a part of the community of God that has been established by Him. Because building Building is dependent upon God. We could, have, we could have spent the time, efforts, resources in building the house. But if we are trusting in the Lord, who really built the house? The Lord blesses time. He blesses efforts. He blesses resources. It is He who has built His house in the physical sense, but also spiritual. You share the good news but it is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as the gospel of our King is preached, He is drawing people to Himself. People are joining the church all around the globe because they place their faith in Jesus to save them from their sin. So the building, the building is totally dependent upon God. And then in the latter part of verse 1, Who really watches? Who really watches? It is the Lord who watches. A man can keep watch at a city gate, but it is the Lord who keeps His people safe in the midst of their slumber. When would a surprise attack come upon a city? Or when does the thief come? In the night. And so the Lord is the one who keeps the city safe in the day and night. And so the purpose of building and watching here in Scripture is that the city is fortified, strengthened, and that the city will be able to continue. But ultimately, the city is dependent upon God who creates the building and sustains it. He creates it and sustains it by watching over it. So we are totally dependent upon the providence of God. John Piper describes the providence of God as the act of purposefully providing for or sustaining and governing the world. So is there anything, is there anything that is not dependent upon God? No. Everything, everything is dependent upon God. 
The tree that falls in the forest and you did not hear it, nor did you see it fall, is dependent upon God, and it fell according to His providence. Even the atheist, in his ignorance, is dependent upon God. But do we regularly think that we are dependent upon God? Or do we come to God when we think we cannot do things on our own? So, to deny God and say He doesn't exist... And to not regularly think upon our dependence, our need of God, or to treat God like a cosmic genie is vanity. It is vanity. Vanity is emptiness or nothingness. If you are familiar with Ecclesiastes, the same writer of this psalm is attributed to writing that book. And in verse 2 of Ecclesiastes 1, he says, Vanity of vanities says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So there's similarity between the vanity and and vain in Ecclesiastes and here in Psalm 127. And the psalmist repeats the word vain three times in two verses to again remind readers of the importance of the Lord building and watching. Scripture is showing that if the Lord is not of it, It will not happen. So the Christian worldview is not that we do work and then call upon God when the labor is tough. Scripture is showing us that God has placed us and put us in our labor from the start. Our labor and our jobs are dependent upon God. God puts breath into our lungs. And so the point the psalmist is making is that we begin with the providence of God. We don't work to then rest in the providence of God. This is why the psalmist uses the phrase, if or unless the Lord builds or watches. So Christians work and labor from providence. We don't labor to then rest in sovereignty. We labor because God is sovereign. And so our labor and toil is not in vain when the Lord builds and watches. And the psalmist is showing in verse 2 what is taking place if one does not rest in the sovereign Lord building and watching. The phrase is to rise up early, to go to bed late and eat this bread of toil. So to work all day. This, this labor is tough labor. And bread is shown as a food that just fills the belly, but it's not joy for the appetite. So it is positioned like he toils all day. The toil is painful, and then all the worker receives to eat is bread. The psalmist is saying, you rise up early, go go late to bed and work all day, and if your labor is not resting in the Lord, then it will be burdensome. Your food will will be like anxious toil. Does this sound similar? Similar to the American dream? We are born, we're educated to live, then we work to retire and retire to die. That is what the American dream offers. And it's very similar to the point in which the psalmist is getting at here. There's so much to life when people find their rest in God's providence 
So labor does not happen in vain. But not only does God grant His people labor, He grants His people sleep. Both are resting in God's providence. We can sleep well because God doesn't. We begin our labor because the Lord upholds His people. We continue in our labor because the Lord is the one who keeps us going. And in the end, God is the one who gives the growth. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse verse 6, it says, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God is the one who gives success. Without the Lord, everyone will fail. And so there is dependence upon the providence, sovereignty, and care of God. And the Lord is going to build His kingdom, His community, for His namesake. This psalm is looking back to the covenant God made with David in 2 Samuel 7, verses 11-13. to The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this psalm is referring back to the covenant with David, which is pointing forward to the new covenant with Jesus. This house is not just one family, but a community of people. And God keeps a community of people for his own. He builds the house. He is bringing people into the fold. He watches over the city. And so God in His providence brings about His will for His pleasure and the blessing of His people for their good. There's divine providence at work in our labor, in our families, and our church. We can spend hours and hours in Bible reading, prayer, and asking kids questions. But if the child or one is not resting upon God, they're going to fall astray. Even though that there are kids that have been been involved in family devotions and read their Bibles regularly, when they get to college, they leave the local church. Does that mean that none of these things are of benefit? No! No! It is God who gives the growth. We teach our children and pray that God changes their hearts. We cannot change someone's heart. But on the other hand, we should still teach our kids about Jesus and the gospel if people fall astray. Does this mean that adults who over time love the things of the world more than the things of God, that the church is of no benefit? No, it is God who gives the growth. It is in God's sovereign care that He saves. We pray, we pray because God is sovereign. He is the one who is true to watch over the souls of men and women because He created us. And so we rest in the providence of God. And God's providence is like a soft pillow in which we lay our heads to rest you hang 
Christmas lights on your tree. He hung the stars. So Christian, rest in the one who is over all things and your labor is not in vain. The second point for this morning is that children are a blessing from the Lord for the family and the community. Let's read verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So these three verses, they give warrior-like imagery to describe the gift of children. That they are arrows, they're a heritage, and the quiver should be full. Children would have been raised up to be workers and warriors in this day. But God's description is not just the benefit of having more in the community to fight. Scripture is describing children as a heritage and arrows because they are the ones who will carry on the torch. Regarding the community of God, the children are far more than just biological offspring, but they belong to the whole family. So when there is a child added in our midst, we rejoice. And we should train up our children knowing that we are in wartime. We know the end. We know the king is coming, but we are still in the fight. So children and students are to be cared for, that are to be nurtured well to see them grow up. And to those God has entrusted children, He will provide for them. The psalmist is showing that the fruit of the womb is a reward. And for many of us, it's easy to be so consumed by our kids that we lose sight of what God has called us to. God is entrusting children into our care, and that is the reward. As fallen humanity, fallen men and women, we are not perfect. And at times, we will fail our children. We will fail our spouses. We will fail other church members. And we will fail our Lord. But as we fail and have sinned, we remind one another of our need for Jesus. We need a kinsman who lived perfectly. We need a kinsman redeemer who was tempted, yet did not give into temptation. We need a substitute to stand in our place for our sin, and that is Jesus. Our Redeemer took on flesh to pay our penalty of sin and to redeem His people. We see in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 39 to 45, Mary went to visit Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So Elizabeth is recounting Psalm 127, verse 3, in speaking about Jesus, 
who is in Mary's womb. In Mary's womb is the long-anticipated Messiah, the God-man Jesus Christ. He was born of the Virgin Mary and was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered upon the cross for the sins of those who would believe and was buried. But on the third day He rose. He ascended to heaven and will come again to judge the living and the dead. So this King Jesus was begotten, not made. He is of the same substance and essence with the Father. He is God of God, light of light, truly God of truly God. It is He, it is He who is the reward and the fruit of Mary's womb. So the only way for you to be reconciled to God is to trust, to place your faith in the God-man Jesus Christ. Run to Him in your struggles, in your burdens, and He will give you rest. This, this psalm is not an easy passage or subject this morning. Family lose, they lose children. They have miscarriages. And some are not able to have kids. We understand that the Lord is the giver of life in the womb. In Genesis, with the account of Jacob and Rachel and Leah, Leah has children and Rachel doesn't for a time. In Genesis 30, 22 states, God remembered Rachel. God listened to her and opened her womb. I don't know why miscarriages happen with some families and doesn't happen in others. I don't know why some are able to have kids and others are not. A mom having a miscarriage in this life is maybe one of the most difficult things that her and her husband will face. Because we know, we know that a child is a heritage, a reward. What is in the womb is not just a clump of cells, but a baby made in the image of God. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16 say, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My form was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God knows the child in the womb. And the suffering that believers go through in losing a baby or not being able to have kids is not in vain. Because of sin, people die. There's loss of loved ones, grieving over loved ones. Sorrow happens because of death. But God uses those hardships to point us to Him. But also, to be able to comfort one another in their hardships and sufferings. We value the womb. The glory of God is on display in the womb. 
I personally know a man who was converted at the birth of his child. God is fashioning and designing that baby in the womb. We, we feel helpless. We cannot control situations. Even with all the modern day medicine, we are still unable to control aspects of the miracle that occurs in the womb. So we are dependent upon God. There's not one point in having a child, raising a child, and a child leaving the home in which the family and the church is not dependent upon God. Matthew Arbo says in his book, Walking Through Infertility, that the Creator and Redeemer of life has not forsaken the infertile, but has instead given them a slightly different way of being a family, and thus of participating in the life and mission of God. If you are in Christ, having a miscarriage, not being able to have children, and dealing with the loss of loved ones does not change your identity in Him. Christians weep and mourn with those who suffer and deal in this manner. The Lord gives kids. We rejoice. The Lord takes away. We mourn. But blessed be the name of the Lord. We value life in the womb. And we desire to be Christians who care for life from the womb to the tomb. On on, uh, January 22nd of this year, J.D. Greer posted this comment online. He says, Sometimes I hear people say, All you Christians care about is the preborn. Don't believe it. Since 1973, For every one abortion clinic in America, Christians have built three pregnancy centers to assist women in crisis. They are buying groceries and helping them get housing and whatever else. Going to to foster services and adoption agencies and there you will find the group represented most are pro-life Christians and their friends. Christians have built more hospitals around the world than any other single group. For a long time in sub-Saharan Africa, there was not a single hospital that hadn't been built by a Christian mission. So our church has more than 10 ministries to mothers and families in crisis that our members are deeply involved in. So don't don't believe the tired trope that followers of Jesus only care about their preborn. A lot of people use that excuse a lot of people use that to excuse the fact that they are virtually silent about the tragedy of abortion. It's hard to say that you're pro-life from the womb to the tomb if you're apathetic when the womb is a tomb. So beloved, as we look at this passage this morning, And then we see what Psalm 127 says. It is the whole community of God. The whole community of God takes part in the blessing of children. We speak and strive to care for the unborn. 
We care for the orphan and the one who is not able to speak for themselves. We have families in our church that are involved in the foster care system and involved in CASA. They are caring for kids in which the world has forgotten. And that is one way, one of the many ways, visible ways, we can be caring for children in our community. In our church, those who stop and speak to our kids. I know my daughter runs up to anyone if she's in a good mood and might start talking. And I've seen this countless times, though, in our church in which people are taking their time to invest into our kids. And so it is beneficial. It is beneficial when those older in age speak to those younger in age. The older in age... The older in age do not see kids as rambunctious. And then the kids will value wisdom from the older generation. And this is one of the many ways in which our local church can model family discipleship. We are a family. That's one way we can model family discipleship. And as the psalmist mentions here in this passage, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, children are meant are meant to be sent out after being raised in a godly manner. They're meant to fear the Lord and not to be consumed by the culture. Yet some parents, some parents try to relive their lives in their children or to get their children to do what they wanted to do. Some aspects of this are not good or honorable. Trying to live your life through your children and validate your life through your kids' successes and failures. Your child is not you, and you are not your child. Can we be friendly with our kids? Sure. But first and foremost, God has entrusted you to be their parents, and they are to be your sons or daughters. We are not to live our lives through them, but model the manner in which we should live So they are sent out. So God has entrusted kids to the local church to not just be looked over by their individual families, but the whole community. If there's something unwise that I'm doing or something that is not honorable that my child is doing, then the whole church, the local church, speaks into that and gives sound biblical counsel. The beauty of the local church is that no matter who you are, If you are in Christ, you can care for families in the body. It is individual families together, unified, that make up the one body in Christ. And so everyone benefits when we see children as our heritage, reward, and arrows. And so may our children in this church grow up to be faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus. That's our prayer. And then in verse 5, this blessing, this blessing is what God has given. God has given this man and the family children, which are, again, a heritage, reward, and arrows. It's not because the man did great things, so now he has children. It is in spite of that. There are no perfect parents, there are no perfect children. Some of us have been born into homes in which there have been many struggles and hurt. 
Some of us have children who have caused us grief by the way in which they live. But what Scripture is showing is that the man is blessed because God has done so freely. For the family of God, children are more valuable. Children are more valuable than hobbies and dreams or whatever. But we live in a day, we live in a day where parents are telling their children they've missed out on the things of life because they had kids. What a terrible, terrible viewpoint from our culture to speak such things. And this is in complete opposition to what Scripture shows here. In our families and in the church, we are reminded about life not being about us and revolving around us because of the children God has blessed us with and entrusted to us. By having children in our midst, we are reminded that we are utterly dependent upon God. We also need to to be diligently reminded of the gospel. And so, as we are teaching the good news of Christ to our children and students, we do not not grow past the news ourselves. Psalm 128 verse 3 describes children around the table as olive shoots. So these, these olive shoots, they need to hear the good news at the table. They need to hear the good news. Whether at your dining table or a post-COVID potluck. They need to hear the good news. And so the family and the church is blessed by God because the gift of children changes our perspective on life. It is not about us. It's not about us. And we share the good news with the next generation. And as verse 5 closes, the gate was an important place in the ancient Near East. There were important decisions being made at the gate. Conflicts were settled at the gate. So for the man who has a family and community around him, when, when the family has as many children as the Lord allows, this man is not going to be put to shame in front of his enemies. And the word enemies is used 75 times in the Psalms. And here it could be referring to the enemies of the individual or the community. But either way, either way, the community nor the man will be put to shame by his enemies when they see that children are a heritage from the Lord. So every gift, every gift on earth is given by the king. Every day, every day is a gift of God. So may we not waste it. Beloved, it is God who builds the house and watches over the city. His providence is good for His people and our labor is not in vain. Children are a blessing from our king. And they are a blessing to the covenant community of believers and the Lord Jesus Christ. So God has graciously given some children, yet we as a community are all entrusted to care for them. 
As we diligently teach children and students, we are resting in the providence, the sovereignty of our God. We only get one life and will soon pass. Only what is done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Our King of Heaven, may we rest in your tender and gentle care toward your people. As we labor and work this week, may we rest in your sovereign plan, knowing that you are the one who builds and you sustain your people. Father, you give your people rest because the whole universe is upheld by the word of your power. So may we be reminded as we have conversations with others that Jesus Christ is sufficient to save sinners. Those in Him were once lost, now they are found. Father, may You continue to remind us that children are a blessing and that we are entrusted as a church to care for them. We know, we know that you provide for your people. So, Father, may we rest in you and your care for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.